welcome to the Youth Development Professionals Guidebook. I'm your host, Michael Garcia. And I'm your co-host, Al Ferreira. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another amazing episode. Uh, we are excited to have you here with Beth Steinberg. Beth, how are you doing? I am good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thank you for joining us from all across the world over in Israel. We're very excited to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Beth. What do you do and what's going on? You know, it's interesting that you said all across the world. I actually feel that the pandemic has really brought us all closer. You know, isolation has made us both get in contact maybe with people we haven't been in contact with a while just to check and see how they are. And we've been experiencing so much of the same thing. In any event, I've been in Jerusalem since 2006. Um, I moved here with my family. I've got three kids. Now they're big. And um, we moved here because the rest of my family was here. And it was sort of a long uh, story of thinking about, could we leave the U.S.? Forget the U.S. Could we leave New York City? We're New Yorkers. So that was a really big step for all of us. And when we got here, um, my youngest son has disabilities. Uh, he's now almost 23. And one of the first things I asked a group of other women that first year, first year, it's like eight months after we've moved, was what do you do during the summer? And they said, oh, it's a catastrophe. (laughs) Okay. And it was a bit of a catastrophe in New York, too. I mean, you know, New York's a big city. There's a lot of kids and a lot of needs. And when it came time for summer and camp in particular, I never found anything really for him. He was nine when we moved. And myself and one other woman, we kind of looked at each other. We're both camp kids. We grew up in camps, day camps, sleepaway camps in the New York area. She's been living in Israel since she was uh, 17 or 18, but she still remembered the powerful camp um, experiences that she'd had. And we looked at each other and that was how we got started. We got started out of a no or out of it's a catastrophe and out of a feeling that we had to make a change, certainly for kids with disabilities in Israel, And we had to make a change for ourselves because of how much we value informal education. And that was how we got started in starting Shutaf. That's the name of the organization that we both run together. Um, Shutaf means partner in Hebrew. And that also grew out of this idea about building a more inclusive community via informal education. I hear what you're saying with the the challenges and the gaps. It sounds like you're filling a gap out over in Israel. Talk to us a little bit about Shutaf and what how does that program run? How do you engage with, with your campers in the summer? You know, it's interesting. In some ways, we grew so organically, which I really value when I really look back on it. You know, we started with 10 kids the first summer. My kid, my kid, her kid, and a couple of friends. And it was a very much a mix in terms of who came. There were a couple of kids, like, just to discuss diagnoses, which is not something we like to do at Shoe Tough. You know, my son has Down syndrome. And Miriam, my co-founder, her daughter has Down syndrome. But other than that, we reached out to another, another parent whose kid is on the autism spectrum. This one had a friend, had a sister, had a so forth. That was our first group of kids. And it was so much fun. My kid came home grubby and happy. What else should a kid, how else should a kid come home from camp, right? And I thought, okay, we're on to something. And we looked at each other. We said, well, when's the next big vacation from school? Hanukkah time, December. It's also weather is still pretty good. So we ran another camp. We doubled in size. When's the next big vacation Passover before the holiday? It's a very long vacation period here. And it's a time also of financial stress often for families, for parents as they prepare for this big holiday. And like the kids are off from school long before a parent ever has vacation. Okay. And then by the following summer, we ran a three-week camp for close to 50 kids. 
And we knew we had really touched a nerve, both in terms of need, and we had learned a lot of interesting things. We had seen that, you know, kids could just come together. We could have kids with disabilities and kids without disabilities inhabiting the same space. I knew that in my heart, but we saw it really play out as the program began to grow. We had kids with all kinds of diagnoses. We didn't really care what your diagnosis was. We already were learning then that the first question we had to ask each and every participant and their family was what are your needs? What do you need to be successful? How can I help you? And that was really the things that began to play out in our ethos now, 13 years later, about how we see you know, what the work's about. Um, because now, flashing forward 2020, I mean, albeit a pandemic, we run two camps a year. Uh, we still run our pre-Passover camp, which includes both a day camp and a little short sleepaway program for teens. And then we also, in the summertime, have a really big day camp of 150 participants, um, children, teens, and young adults. We have a, voc ed, a small voc ed program that's growing. We do a lot of really great stuff at both of those programs. Year round, we do programs for teens and programs for our 21 plus crowd. Because at this point now we've had young people who have theory aged out of the program and we wanted to still offer them that, that place of the social that is both so important in both camp work and youth work. We saw that we had created this real, this real space, this home, especially for young people. Young people never turned down the opportunity to come to our programs. It was like, you know, you're doing something great, I'm coming. Whereas the children have to depend maybe more on the families and the moms and dads to get them there. Some of the teens and young adults can come independently. Sometimes they need more assistance. Those are different issues to work out. But they deeply wanted the social experience that our informal education program, as it grew, offered to them. And that was really powerful to see. Um, so those were, some of the, those were some of the beginning steps of how we kind of grew and began to see what we do. What's really also cool was to value this idea of inclusion that I do feel is different and special in the world of disabilities. And just today, okay, I'll tell you a story. So um, a friend of my middle son's calls me up He's, a, he's doing a dog training and dog therapy program. It's a guy, he's like in his, whatever, late 20s, right? And he knows my son, Akiva, the one with disabilities. He's known him for a long time, very chill with him. But he called me to discuss a project that he has to do, like as part of, I guess, the end of the program this year, that he has to plan and prepare activities, dog training activities for young people on the spectrum, let's say teens. And he uses the word, he tells me, he goes, teens on the spectrum, high functioning to middle. I'm like, well, what's that? And he said, well, I'm just telling you how they described it. I said, I know. I said, how do you think I feel about that description? He said, not very good, I think. I said, you're right. But, but then we got into a whole conversation about, I said, well, what does that mean to you, high functioning autism? High functioning autism is a term that's used today. I, I asked this guy, though, I said, but what does that mean to you? He said, I don't know. You're right. I said, of course you don't know. You know, a person, could be very successful academically, but be very, be, but be less successful socially. Maybe they fall into that grouping of high functioning autism. Maybe they don't. So, well, what does that do for me? You know, and, and what's it gonna take for the world to stop categorizing and maybe just responding to need? And that's really what we're about at Chuta. Wow, that was it. I, that was amazing. I 100% agree. You know, 
I, I challenge my parents to tell me about your child, not tell me your child, right? Like, tell me about them. Oh, uh, well, they have this. Great. But tell me about them. Like, let me learn. Let me understand. Let me process. Let me make sure I can help and guide your child in a safe place instead of, well, this is a, a label pop and this is a label pop. And sometimes labels help. Sometimes labels help put overall brackets on. But how do you go about having a conversation with a parent? Let's I'm okay playing a little mock parent. Talk to me a little bit about how you go have that conversation so the people listening to this can understand and maybe learn how to dive deeper into that conversation with a parent to make sure their programs are the right fit for their child. Well, it's interesting, the right fit. I often think, and I, I mean, as a parent myself, I very much... Um, honor a parent's sense about what might work or not. And yet, all a parent has to hear, a parent of a child, let's say, on the spectrum, all they sometimes have to hear is that there might be kids with developmental delay in the same program, and that makes them uptight. And I think to myself, but autism, I say this with respect, it's a form of developmental difference. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's put the fear on the table. Let's speak with respect and kindness. So just thinking about that in a more, but, in a, but coming back to what you asked me, you know, the intake process, we take it very seriously at Shutaf, and we're lucky. I mean, Israel's a small place. So Jerusalem, we serve kids from maybe 53 different schools in the greater Jerusalem area and all, let's say, the small suburban kind of spaces in and around the city. Um, so that means, an intake means if it's a new camper, a new participant, everyone gets a home visit. Because you learn so much from a home visit. You may not meet both parents, but you'll see the other kids maybe if there are sibs. You'll get to see, you'll get to meet the kid in his or her own space, which a lot of times really dials down anxiety for the new the new participant who might be like, who are these people who are coming in to see me? We even try to do home visits uh, with a staff of two so that one person's kind of asking questions, talking to mom or dad, maybe talking to the kid. And the other person is either, either engaging with the potential new participant or just observing a little bit. Kind of like, again, not, not in a clinical way, in a friendly way. That's really what we aim to do. Um, and also we really look at building the parent relationship as a partnership. Meaning I don't want, what's the biggest problem everyone deals with in today's world, I think, is we're nervous that we won't get full information. What kind of meds does the child take? What kind of allergies does the child have? There's a lot of like serious things you need to know and you want the parent to trust you to tell you. So that's like thing one, gain a person's trust. Hopefully just have them really realize that we are actually here to serve your kid. And if for some reason we all look at each other and realize it's not going to be the right place for your child, let's handle that as respectfully and honorably as we can, because no parent likes to feel their child isn't wanted. I mean, those are really like things that really family, it's really hard. I mean, as a parent, I can say, you know, I, I remember when I was calling, I would be, okay, I'm going to say it. My son, toileting was a really complicated issue for him when he was much younger. 
And I'd call places and they'd be like, no, we can't do that. And I think, are you kidding me? Are you pledged to serve kids with disabilities? Or are you only pledged to serve the, the ones who make the grade? You're telling me no kid ever has an accident in your program. I refuse to believe it. So that was a big part about how we slowly built this idea of the intake process so that, again, a family would feel like there's a place. Okay, here's another good one. You'll like this one, I think. Money. Jerusalem is a poor city. There's a lot of people who don't have. Now, everyone should pay for the program, meaning parents should value that their kid is going to go to a good program and they should pay what they can pay. So, you know, we, and we argued about this in the early years. Like I remember uh, 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 somebody saying to us, you know, you're not getting what you should for tuition. And I said, listen, every family, we ask them, imagine this question, what can you pay? And then the parent says, oh, gee, thanks for asking me. Because if I ask you for your forms, forms don't tell me really where you are. Let's think about this here. Do you have a job? How you coping? Do you have food on the table? I, I don't, I'm not, I'm looking to like help you out and respond to your need. And what that's yielded us is in a summer where the family feels more able, they say, I can pay more this year. Thank you so much last year, you really helped me out and I can pay more this year. So those are all part of the things that we think about when we think about how to like build the, you know, build the relationship with the family. As, you know, and also answer their questions and hopefully dial down their concerns that somehow by being in a more inclusive program, their kid might be hanging out with someone who they don't feel comfortable with, but their child might feel just fine. You know, okay, here's the story we get this. We get this story every year during camp time in particular, every year, kid you not. A parent, you know, looks at junior or whatever, you know, uh, and, and says, so how was your day at camp? What'd you do? And you know, the kid probably like shuffles, you know, their feet and says nothing. And then they say that important question. They say, so is there anyone with special needs in your group? The kid like scratches her head and says, no. And then we'll always check in. Like sometimes we'll really do a check on this. We'll say to like Marcy, our program director, we'll say, Marcy, what about like, you know, Shira, who's in X group? Is there, like, what's that group makeup like? And she'll start to laugh because she knows what the question is. She'll like, trust me, in every group, there's a mix. But what's brilliant is the kids have it a good time and they're just not seeing it. Yeah, I, I find a lot of the challenges we have are our expectations on the child, not the child's expectations of us. So that's great. Uh, Beth, thanks for sharing. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Thanks so much to our sponsors, Expert Online Training. Al, you've used Expert Online Training. Tell us about it. I have. I've been a past user and, and, and a big fan of Expert Online Training. I've used them for our first year staff. I've used them uh, for returning leaders. I've used them for our senior leadership uh, or what uh, some people call the, the directing team and I call the support staff. Uh, the different topics and presenters that they have really are worthwhile in tailoring training to your specific camp teams in so many different ways. It's a great program. My camp is using expert online training this summer. So if you're interested in expert online training, go to expertonlinetraining.com 
and check them out. Hello, we're back and we're here with Beth Steinberg, who uh, is sharing about her very inclusive program. Uh, and uh, Beth, I'm very curious uh, because you kind of touched upon it in the last segment uh, a little bit about the, you know, how, how this cultural shift in our world uh, has affected your program. Can you talk to us a little bit about what's changed for the program and maybe a little bit about what's changed for you? You know, a million years ago when I took my first trip to the U.S. to talk to people about what we were doing, somebody said to me, so what are you trying to do, start a revolution? And I thought, huh, I, don't, I couldn't say yes to it at that point. But I did say to her, I don't know if it's a revolution, but it's time for us to shift the conversation forward. It's, it's really, you know, and it's interesting that all of the, all of what's been going on in the world in this past time has made me think about this even more. You know, one of the side things that we do at Shootuff is we do a lot of educational work. And that's kind of shifted in different ways over the years. Um, initially, we thought we'll go out, you know, especially because we're a camp located in Israel, we'll go to um, Jewish communities in the U.S. or in other places and talk about the work and talk about why we need to build a more a cohesive and inclusive community. Um, actually, we're just about to release, I'm pretty excited about this, um, we're just about to finally, finally launch a new website with an online inclusion guide. Now, I'm not the only one doing this work. There's lots of good people out there, but I want to share what we've learned. And when, and in the, the, pro, the project will be in Hebrew and in English, and one day in Arabic, we've struggled a little to get all that done. We, we shot some initial videos. That's the next step, because we know that there are people in Israel speaking different languages, different cultural approach. You know, we really want the project to be trilingual, because we know how important in Israel it is to put it down, available for people, in particular in Hebrew and in Arabic, maybe one day even in Russian, which might also appeal to uh, you know, different people looking for information that will be easier for them to take in in their native, you know, in their native language. But um, for us, the idea was to really share what we've learned and to help the world be more accepting. You know, we have so much, so much has happened in this last period of time. I've read interesting articles. This has really gotten me thinking. Like I haven't even like thought about how to talk about this. This whole notion of working from home, right? What's it, what's it mean? Well, it means now that maybe somebody with significant physical disabilities doesn't have to stress anymore to prove that they can get into work. They can work from home just like anyone else. That's amazing. That's huge. Can, can the world hold on to that in the upcoming period? Now that doesn't solve the question of employment for people with cognitive disabilities who are un often, un un often underemployed. Um, it might work for people with other kinds of issues who again, can work from home more easily. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers to that. And then even just the, you know, if we use the social unrest in the US of just the more recent period, in some ways, again, what it talks about is this deep desire. And I think everyone recognizes that something we need to think in a more open way about everyone's rights for social equality and equity. So again, as a person who's always using the lens of disability as my guide, I'm like, okay, I'm there. I've been there for a long time. 
And I know how people with disabilities get shoved back in the corner when there's another more important topic. And I'm not knocking any of the important topics right there in front of us for the moment. I just want, I want people who struggle with difference every day in their, of their lives to be thought about and cared about and seen as worthy. I have a 23 year old son and you might say to me, so Beth, is he living out of the house yet? Well, no, he's not. I read this amazing piece that somebody wrote and it was called Jay's Envious Life. And Jay, who died suddenly in his early 40s, I feel like this was in Ohio, but I, as a New Yorker, that sounds ridiculous. I don't remember, but, I, but in any case, I knocked the New Yorker in me always, but I do think it was in Ohio. In any case, he had moved out, um, I guess probably sometime in his 20s. He was a guy on the spectrum and uh, with issues on the autism spectrum. And he was living in some sort of group setting and his sister came home one day to his parents and, he's, and she said, listen, I hate where Jay lives. Jay hates where he lives. We must make a change. And the family moved through a process of making a change. Jay moved out of the house. They built a life that to my mind, as a parent of a young person with disabilities, felt like an envious life. And it was a good life. And it was a life that he chose. And they helped him, they helped him make choices. I, I don't know, I don't know all the answers to that. And I thought, well, that's what I want for my son. Why should it have to be so impossible to get there? So I know that, you know, I, I took it in different places, but I think that's what I think about when I think about like the whole justice part and people with disabilities and how do we, inclusion will help us move this forward. Kids yeah. need to be together with all kinds of other kids. Yeah, just having this, a seat at the table for everybody is 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 the way you know as you're talking i'm picturing this and having the spots and and like you said you know there's not a chair for them to have to move out of the way they could just pull right up and and what they need so that's great um so talk to us beth a little bit about now everything that's going on uh how is it in israel with with covid and where where do you see this summer's programs headed it's a roller coaster. One of the reasons it's a roller coaster, well, I mean, the first thing that happened was March 15th, we put, that's what I like to say about me and Miriam, my co-founder, we put the work of 13 years on ice, essentially. We brought the organization down to a very, very small hum. We furloughed all the staff and we all sort of were in shock initially. There's really no other word for it. We're a very dedicated small team. Um, it's a very grassroots kind of organization. Like, what do you mean we're not working? What do you mean we're not offering services? But the lockdown was tight and everyone wanted to comply. And of course, everyone felt very fearful and you know, people had kids at home and you know, it was complicated. And somewhere around Passover times, so it was like mid-April after Passover ended, we'd, we would have like a weekly meeting just to check in and how are you? And slowly we began to say, okay, we can do some online gatherings, you know, thank God for Zoom. And we can begin to reach out to our families, check in with them, talk to parents, how you doing? Try to like listen between the lines so that if we sense a family is in some kind of crisis, pass them on maybe to social services or ask them if they'd be okay with that. 
give a listen and hear what we could do. And certainly for our regular participants. And we started running like activities for, for the younger kids and stuff for the teens and the young adults. The teens and the young adults, again, as always, really welcomed like the gatherings online. There's definitely Zoom fatigue at this point. Um, let's be honest, it's just not the same. And then slowly, now Israel opened up sooner than the US. So by mid-May, we understood kids were like beginning to go back to school. Um, things were opening up a little bit faster than we expected, but we saw that there was this hope for camp. And we, we thought, all right, listen, if there's a hope for an in-person program, we know how important that will be. I mean, listen, the economic fallout is huge. People need to work. Kids need to go to programs. Kids with disabilities, you know, in Israel, where, where camping, again, is less the thing, you know, by the time a kid is like in sixth or seventh grade, they just sort of hang out, not doing enough during the summer. But for a kid with disability, that is not the answer a parent can offer. And there may not be an older sibling who can assist, or the needs may be more complex than an older sibling can manage. Um, so at this point now, flash forward, here we are, you know, mid, where are we? Oh, June 24th. We are at this point, we're working, and it really is a roller coaster. We're working in two directions. Direction one, in-person camp, albeit a much phased, a much differently planned camp. We'll do uh, smaller groupings, like we'll do two weeks in total. Uh, one week we'll have one group of younger kids in the morning, in the afternoon, older kids, so that we keep the numbers down. Um, and then the second week, again, it'll be a different group of younger kids in the morning, teens again in the afternoon. Um, do we know if we can pull that off? No. Do we know if we'll be licensed? We get the impression now we'll get licensing, but we don't fully know what the rules and the regulations will be. Meanwhile, we're saying to ourselves, well, forget the rules and the regulations. What do we know we need to do to the best of our abilities? I can't promise COVID won't enter the camp, but I can't promise that we will do everything we can to manage safety and good hygiene and all that at camp. So it's really been complicated, you know, from having extra staff that that's their job to having an on-site, um, you know, a medic on, on-site at camp, which for a camp that's small, we wouldn't normally need to, but maybe we need it this year, you know, to thinking about the busing, like, do we need more buses in order that there's less kids on the buses, everything that we can possibly do. And yet, oh, and then what's the other side? Okay, so the other side is while we're doing that, which is enough to do, we're planning online activities. So camp can't happen. We're gonna send a special delivery, shoot tough special delivery box to your house, hopefully to all the campers. There'll be some fun things inside it. There'll be activities that are already planned and set up online, not Zoom, more just like, okay, I wanna like do an arts and crafts. There's a little video. There's some, you know, there's some, maybe mom and dad can unload the dishwasher. Maybe somebody can walk out of the house. Maybe it can be done with just a big sister or a big brother. Maybe it's the kind of thing that a kid might actually do and may offer them, you know, in some ways I feel like, look, we're not answering needs the way we normally would. I'd like a kid to like have a little fun. Fun's important. I'm fascinated that uh, uh, earlier you talked about, you know, it's time to shift the conversation forward. And it sounds like all you've done is shift the conversation and the action forward uh, for 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 your program for for the uh, your organization. Um, I, I I'd like you to picture yourself six months from now 
And uh, what would Beth six months from now say to Beth today about what has changed or what uh, you've done? Uh, is, is there some word of encouragement that Beth six months from now would, would share with Beth today? It's interesting because six months from now does not take us out of this place that we're in, right? Potentially, yeah. Well, who knows? Uh, yeah. I guess I would hope that Beth six months from now would say, good on you. You guys did the best you could with the situation you had, with the, um, the financial situation you found yourself in as a mostly, we are a mostly um, privately, uh, we're, we're a donor funded organization um, by donors of all sizes who believe in the work that we do um, and really have supported us since the first day. We're less a government, meaning we're not a, let me just make that clear. We're not a government funded organization because it's hard to become a government funded organization. You gotta be big enough. You have to have your own address. You have to have this, you have to, whatever. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, the importance of the government deciding who to fund that matters a lot. I'm not, I'm not even here to discuss that. I'm just saying that. So six months from now, I think I would love to also look back and say, wow, all these people believed in this, even with the roller coaster, even knowing, are we going to have camp in person? Are we going to have camp online? Are we going to have camp like this? Are we going to have camp like that? But to be able to look back and say that we did okay. We did okay. Maybe we did better than okay. And maybe we just helped make things a little bit better. And for myself too, by the way, I'm not just talking about the families because, you know, it's an exhausting time. Is, is there anything that you're doing now that you weren't doing six months ago that you're going to continue to do moving forward? That's interesting, actually, because we talk a lot about the online work that we've been doing. We continue to do, you know, some activities on Zoom, but we see a lot of, as we say, Zoom fatigue. But what's been interesting is what the staff talks about what they've learned, how to reach kids online, how to make it work for them, even though it's imperfect. Will we still be doing that six months from now? We might be. Um, sometimes I think it's a more kind of emotional thing. We'll have learned things about, I don't know, like I, it, fortitude, you know? Hanging in there when it's not an easy time. And really, we had a very tough staff meeting yesterday. And I realized afterwards, it really helped, it really was hard for the staff. Like we all, everyone felt unsettled. The future doesn't seem clear. So maybe in six months, we, I can, we can look back and say, I can look back and, you know, say to Beth, okay, you worked through a very unsettled time. You didn't make it perfect because you couldn't, but that's okay. You know, you talk about unsettled and uh, unsettled times, and, and, and I hear a lot uh, of folks share that, uh, not just through our, our interviews on our podcast, but uh, in day-to-day -day life. Um, it, it seems like it, there's a great deal of that. Um, uh, you know, I, I remember in, you know, the, again, as a kid in the early seventies, how unsettling everything felt. And, uh, you know, the, the news then was, was on during dinner time in our house. And, and that was it because that's all there was. There wasn't the 24 hour news cycle. Uh, and, and you talk a little bit about your, your staff are, are, 
what what what's the demographic of your staff and what are they seeing uh how do they see your organization through their eyes and i am assuming you're working with younger folks in in the program yeah for sure i mean you know counselor even even in the professional staff you know uh um my our program director is i don't know like a bunch of years you know a couple of years younger than me but it's the program staff who tend to be the, the professional program staff year-round the assistant program director and you know two other people who are on staff in addition to our national service volunteer who are younger you know 20 somethings and it's good to have them because their viewpoint on a lot of this is different now for sure they all felt unsettled and it was interesting how like some of some of our younger you know some of the younger staff like went home to mom and dad it gave them a you know it gave them a little bit of like okay you know maybe it helped them economically even at the beginning i think that that's interesting to look at that i do think that for the young staff there's a part of them that deeply wants to believe we're over the worst of it and let's move on to the next thing they want programs in person it matters to them so deeply which is so interesting for me it's almost like i could take a step back and say well so maybe we don't maybe we just don't run this program right now but i see how it matters to them as well and i i take that as important you know like i have to think about that if they want that so badly how does the kid feel or the teen feel or the 20 or the other the 21 plusers are you know are other participants and how do they feel about their lives being so changed so radically changed and here's the interesting part you know when you talk about like what you grew up with and the news and all that i've never experienced a pandemic so you know like what what do i have to say how can i give them hope with in theory my greater life experience than them so that's also really interesting to me i'll tell you one interesting thing also like just thinking about you were saying like what am i doing so i'm doing something on the side i'm a kind of person who likes on the side things too on the side i work in theater in jerusalem in community theater and in the midst of all this not knowing what we can do or not i'm busy rehearsing a show a shakespeare play this summer because it gives me hope it gives me hope to cast the show i'm the artistic director of a small company called theater in the rough and it gives me hope to to imagine we we do stuff out in the park so I like to think maybe we can do it. And I think that that's the message I think that's important to try to help my staff see that even if we move forward again during uncertain times, which is something I've said a few times, that maybe it's okay. It's just as important to take care of the staff as it is the campers and, and their mental health. So Beth, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, give us a, a shout out. How do people get a hold of you? How can they support your camp? Time to brag. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. No, no, we love, first of all, we love to really, you know, hear from people, especially with our new inclusion guide coming out on our website, soon to be released, uh, campshutaf.org, S-H-U-T-A-F. Um, I'm really easy to find on Facebook. I write a lot about parenting and the disability experience on the Times of Israel. So I'm not too hard to find if you'd like to hear more. And I would love to um, both welcome your support and your interest, because I do feel that um, 
making friends in this world of inclusion and seeing the world in a more equal fashion is important for everyone. So if you want to be in touch, I'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Everybody, we're going to take a quick break and you'll be back with Al and I in a moment. Thanks. If you're interested in having your voice heard on this podcast, go to youthdevelopmentpro.com and send us an email. Welcome back, everybody. Beth was an inspiration. I just was so blessed to have her on this podcast. Al, what'd you learn today? Uh, you know, it's it's inclusion matters. It's the name of the uh, of her program. Uh, I'm fascinated uh, by that. I, I'm reminded of a Shakespearean quote from the um, uh, from the play Twelfth Night. Uh, that they are great words of tolerance and compassion. Uh, in nature, there's no blemish but the mind. None can be called deformed but the unkind. And how kind Beth is, uh, you know, to uh, really bring this program to uh, a, an underserved community. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, uh, you know, she doesn't see that there's a blemish in what they are doing at all and what those kids are. You know, I loved her quote about my kid came home grubby and happy. You know, how else uh, should a kid come home from camp? And, and it's like, well, that, that, that's fantastic. It just, uh, that's youth development at its core. You are making huge leaps and shifts and advances uh, for everybody, uh, no matter what everybody, well, including everybody. Yeah, I think it's, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I loved how she talked, you know, how let's be honest about our children and what their needs are. I think that's a huge part as youth development professionals, you know, we're, we're always apprehensive. Are we getting all the information so we can, you know, develop and design our program to meet every kid's needs. I had a, a camper uh, in, in the past couple of years and the father called me right off the bat and said, I'm just calling, I know you can't take my son. That was the first words out of his mouth was, yeah. And then I said, okay, well, tell me about your son. And he goes, he has, you know, this medical challenge. He needs this emergency medication. He needs this. And he listed his things. And then he, at the end, he was kind of, kind of going to get ready to hang up on me. And he said, you know, I know you can't take it. You're just a camp that I just Google searched and all these other camps can't do that. So, um, yeah, thanks. And I said, well, 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 we can do that. Let's talk about what that means. Let's talk about how we can make sure he's successful. It was work on our end. I'm going to be lay, lay that completely out, but we now can hold that higher standard at our program and make sure he was safe and have those emergency meds available and have multiple people trained in, in administration of that type of medication. And we did it. And I think, you know, camps and not just camps, they're afraid to open themselves up to that type of program. And I, we're the, all the better for it. That camper was beloved and loved at, by everybody who was in contact to him because he was so appreciative of being in an environment with 200 other campers. So um, thanks, Beth. Thanks, Al, uh, for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we hope to see you in two weeks. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great one. Bye-bye.